Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling in association with Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad, it's good to see you. Good to see you, Graham. Stage 11 of the Tour de France, yeah. which we will get onto in just a second. First, I think it's worth mentioning we're officially the number one sports podcast. Officially, number in the one. Charts. Yeah, no, brilliant. And um, I, I think we may have got to number one last year, but it's not about that, really. Just I'm just really happy and humbled that so many people took the time to sit and listen to, um, not our last podcast, the one we did last... Last Friday. We did and, um, yeah. and, and, and even just give some lovely feedback. People opened up a lot. Of gifts. Some of the stories were very, very... Um, the privilege to hear people's personal stories about their adversities and things they've been through. Well, you um, said you said that you'd, you'd wished when you were talking about what you've been through, there were times when you wished it had never happened. Yeah. But the feedback you've been getting since you've been open about it has started to make you think well, otherwise. I mean, I probably don't think that all the time. I'm proud of what I did and this, that and the other. But I'm saying that there, there was, there's, like most people in jobs that they've been in the past, I've probably had moments where I've thought, thought to myself, oh, maybe I wish it didn't happen. You know, what if, or what if it didn't happen? Ask the question. But I don't walk around going, I wish it hadn't happened, wish it happened. It's not, not that. But I, I received a message today that a guy said 2012 and the achievement in 2012 saved his life. And then he went on to talk about suicide and think all those, and it was like just that alone. You, 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 I wouldn't have realised or had that story. He wouldn't have reached out had I had had I not opened up. So, like I said, you know, talking about it may just make it a little bit easier or help someone else. And I, I, the, some of the messages, you know, there was it was touching a lot of them, quite overwhelming, really. Um, and I'm going to endeavour to reply to everyone as well. And and it, yeah, I mean, it is, and it just it just shows you really that you're not alone. And m- most people go through stuff and that, but the fact people would take the time to share their personal stories with you is is um, like, a, like a privilege, you know, to be let into that their world. And but that just that one that he says, you, I just want you to know, you saved my life in 2012, and there's a long story behind it. So how from this day on, it, that's he's helped me. So how can I ever think, I wish it didn't happen if I'm going through something that's connected to that? And going, oh. So thank you. And, and that's something that we will revisit in, in future podcasts. But for today... Yeah. Well, we uh, haven't finished the story because it's chronological, isn't it? So yeah, absolutely. Friday. Yeah. We're going to do it Friday. It'll be Friday's pod. Friday's podcast. We're yeah. looking forward to it already. Um, today's stage, however, is, is something we should focus on. From uh, Châtel-Alon-Plage uh, to Poitiers, where Sean Kelly took his first win... Uh, yep. The tour way back in 1978. That's something we'll come back to. First, here is how Carlton Kirby called it for us on Eurosport. Kokar 
his back wheel as uh, Greg Van Avermaet just dinks in front of them, almost hampers them. Uh, Kokar is, is there, so is Debusco. It looks like it's going to be Jens Debusco who's going to take this, uh, or at least uh, be given the chance because Kokar is disengaged. He's staying on the back wheel of uh, the green jersey of Sam Bennett, who's going to have a free ride. Others are going to have some chances as well. Yes, for Stoyman, it is that's going to try and indeed spoil that particular party, and still they don't go for it. Others coming to the front. Nico Bonifacio is going to very much be involved here uh, for Team Direct Energy. They spread wide. Van Aert also getting very much involved. Case has been bogged down a bit, I think. And there's Sam Bennett. He's looking, he's looking. Who do I follow? Who do I take advantage of? It's now that you've got to make that decision. And the green jersey comes to the fore. Ewan is on his back wheel here with the red helmet and going straight through the middle one. Van Aert holding on. Who's going to get that first? Four up for the line, including Sagan. Ewan thinks he's got it. That was absolutely remarkable. So Brad, a slightly different ramped sprint finish today, which made for a sprint that was lit up very, very late. Wow, Van Aert going long. It looked like he was gonna he was gonna make it for a bit. Everything he's done this this season, especially since we've come mm. back uh, from lockdown, uh, everything he's gone for, he's 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 made it. Um, Caleb Ewan just got there ahead of him. Um, with three others in one hell of a photo finish. Mm. Um, he wasn't even sure he'd won afterwards. Um, no. He said he, he he put the salute up just well, it was in close, case. close, wasn't it? It was yeah. a close finish. So they came in, Caleb Ewan originally, Peter Sagan in second, um, Sam Bennett, number three, um, and Wout van Aert, number Fourth, four. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with, with well, Peter Sagan and I mean, van Aert? Let's, let's start with the fact that Sagan got relegated. So Bennett is now second and van Aert third. The relegation aside and the headbutt aside or whatever it was, you know, the, the body contact. Sagan, last week I was saying, you know, he's a bit a shadow of his former self at the moment. He looks everything like the Sagan of long. I mean, they, last week he couldn't scratch his ass in the sprint. His momentum today, I think, would have carried him through and won the stage. Um, it was Sean Kelly actually said on the first day in Nice that he thought that Sagan will come good. Don't you worry about it. And he was right. I got really happy for him. It was glad, good to see. Yes, he's been relegated. That that aided Sam Bennett, but don't underestimate uh, Sagan. He'll he'll be coming back. So, for anyone who didn't see it, we should say that there was there was um, some fractious sort of argy bargy between Wout Van Aert and, and yeah. Sagan. Sagan going for a gap between Van Aert uh, on the right of the road as you were looking at it. Yeah. sort of behind them so, and, and a gap that wasn't really there between Van Aert and the barrier and he, he sort of batted his way through um, and was subsequently relegated for dangerous sprinting. How did you see it? Well, no, it's interesting because everyone sees it differently mm. which and everyone interprets it differently and I saw it from the front angle to start with and probably interpret it as you just said. I did see an overhead shot which shows the momentum that Sagan's carrying but he's, was he fourth or fifth when the sprint opened up and he, he travelled a long way to get to those guys. He was next to Caleb and Caleb went on the left with mm. all the space. But the wind was coming from the left. So Caleb went into the wind. Sagan went past one rider with a good gap between, uh, a safe gap between the rider and the barrier. And he had no choice but as sprinters do. You know, you're feeling your momentum. I might, you feel him drawing in on you and you can see the line. The gap was bigger before he went into it than when he was in it. And what makes you a good sprinter is you go for gaps like that. Mm. You're not thinking, should I go for it? It might be a bit dangerous. What if that gap closed? People need to understand, sprinters don't think like that. The reason they're sprinters is because, and it's not like, oh, they're crazy, they're reckless, take, take risks. They don't really. They're brilliant bike handlers who are powerful and strong. And they get cast as these kind of reckless, oh, dangerous. 
he like Sagan didn't do anything dangerous. If anything, he used his body weight and his head incredibly incredible bike handling skills while sprinting out the cell doing that. So Van Art didn't shut the gap anymore for a start, so he wouldn't crash because it was just drifting in slightly and it was too late, he was already in it. And I'm still gonna try and win this stage. But I need to protect myself, like just split split reaction because he's still going for that line because he don't switch off that. He's a, he's a winner. And it's only afterwards, it's like, the, the disappointment, are they going to disqualify? Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I was kind of doing it to not make sure he didn't come anymore because the barrier was there and I realised, and I think, I might still be able to win the stage and maybe I won't get disqualified. But the, you don't process all that. So he's not going there going, whack, reckless, dangerous. You know, he's not like that. He doesn't need to be like that. He's so good he, enough. And if he gets cast as... Oh, Sagan got relegated for dangerous sprinting. Sprint. He, what, he was protecting himself in a way that was most people wouldn't be able to do. And, and it was actually display of his bike handling skills. There wasn't actually anything dangerous about it. Van Aert didn't nearly crash because of it. Sagan didn't go like, whack, you know, try and like thrust in an attempt to knock him off. It was just like, you know, budge as well and stop going over and I can still get through. But says as well... We'll see it one way based on the rules. Yes, I understand that. But sometimes you've got to have just a little bit of leeway from the point of view of knowing where his headspace was and past history. I mean, when's Sagan ever knocked anyone off? In the same way Dylan Groenewegen has had death uh, threats and stuff on the internet because, what, because he swerved over the road, maybe wrongly, but he's running out of legs, I'm trying to reach He's not swerving over the road going, then he'll go over the barrier and I'll win the race. I mean, it's just ridiculous that people... Like trolls sending death to to him because that's far worse. I'm actually disturbed. You want to kill him because he he's already in a headspace where he's struggling. We they said that on the TV today. I sent him a message the other week just saying, "I hope you got good people around. You I hope you're all right. You're class act and that, and you've no reason th these things happen." You know? Did he reply to you? Did he come back? Oh, he did reply to me. He said class is. So. But his wife then sent one later on and said, "I just wanted to thank you." Um, and how much that means to Dylan. He, re he really needs messages like that right now. I mean, we spoke about it a lot. And it's just, I feel for everyone. You know, it's not, Jakobsen isn't the victim per se. Groenewegen is not the victim. It's not about who's to blame or the victim. The incident happened and we know how it happened. It shouldn't have happened like that. Someone was probably at fault, yes. The barriers shouldn't have been like that. The, the concrete block shouldn't have been like that over the fence. If riders are coming down a uh, finish straight downhill at 70, 75k an hour, then we need to think, what if someone collides and goes over the barrier? I mean, put nets up. But no one's to blame. It's like, oh, who's to blame for this? What should people do? It's like, the whole thing is tragic and there's clearly something wrong with it that needs to change. Let's just sort everyone out first and make sure they're all right and it's you know, mentally stable. And, and that's what we don't do enough of as a sport. And that's what... The commissars, I'm not criticising the commissars, it's just we probably we might need an ex-cyclist or an ex-sprinter like a Zarb or, or someone like that who knows sprinters, who can advise them and say, look, you're a 70-year-old bloke from France who's never ridden a bike, but you love cycling, now you're a commissaire. That's quite a normal thing to do when you're a sprinter because you might have had another Jakobsen on if you, hadn't, if you hadn't done that. But Or this one, this that's clear, he didn't need to do that. You need someone to advise him who knows what they're talking about. We don't do that. It's just, we just do the same thing, which is institutionalised. The commissars never speak to the riders, unless mm. one or two knows. Like Prudhomme as the organiser, he comes down, the rider says hello to everyone. How did that, did you like that stage? You never see the commissars. They don't integrate with the riders, like a referee in a football match. Rugby, 
the refs are always with the players. Come on, stop. Come on. We've, there's, yeah, a, told there's, a, there's a dialogue, yeah, is what you're saying. We don't see the commissaries. They just walk around. They're just an authoritative figure that is a power thing. And we make the decision. We're commissaries. We're above everyone. It's that, it's that feeling when you're a rider. Can I give you the perspective of another one of the riders? So Hugo Hofstetter, Israel Startup Nation, was up there um, and, and gunning for it in the sprint. He's subsequently come out on Twitter and said, Hi, Peter Sagan, I never use Twitter, but with all respect that I have for you, if I don't break in this moment, me and maybe some other guys are in hospital now. Right. So he's referring to the fact yeah. that he's come but together with Sagan. If you decide for that, it's just with all respect. Right? But if that's the case, then don't put it on social platform. Find out his number and send it to him. So it's not with all respect. You know, you're doing it to sort of create so everyone can see. Cause to sensationalise. Me and a few other guys. Well, why, why add the other guys? You don't know that. They haven't complained. You feel he's done something that was wrong in the spirit. That's fair enough. He's bringing everyone else in to add weight to his case, like that we're all in, you know, there's loads of us that think this. If you want to do something about that, then don't mug him off on social platform. You know, go to him. Say, tomorrow at the start. Look, Pete, can I have a word with you, mate? Wout, Wout Van Aert went to him afterwards as well. And so he's since said the only thing... So he's, he's tried to raise it with him, the fact that they came together. And he, you, so you saw him when they crossed the line flipping the bird afterwards. Um, and the only thing Wout Van Aert says that came back when he tried to speak to him afterwards was strong words. Yeah. Um, and, that and that it was hard to have a conversation. Yeah, but that, it is afterwards. That's in the heat of the uh, moment, yeah. though, right? I mean, bearing in mind Sagan's just tried to get through that gap when he's head back. Adrenaline, so it is not the time afterwards. They're all you can't have a rational conversation about safety in the finish straight. It's not the time. So, so for Hofstad to just send that, I mean, I don't understand. I don't even know him. He's probably a really nice, intelligent guy. But it, there are better ways of going about it. But the reason he sort of said me and a few other guys are going to be in hospital, well, not necessarily. He might have just lost a bit of skin. You know, don't don't magnify it that there's going to be something serious that may be needed to be hospitalised. You just over-egging it you know you, it's because there's a fear of no one supporting you in cycling there's a lot of that if you stand up for something you believe in there's a fear that you'll just be left out there and you get and i think that's true of cycling is we don't stand together enough but at the end of the day sagan is the best rider in the world on his day at what point do we sanitize the sports to the degree that we can't touch each other that's part of sprinting that's why we love watching sprinting did it bring to mind for you when we saw Cavendish going through a, a similar gap and Peter Sagan being in the, the, a similar position to, to where we saw Wout van Aert today yeah. and Sagan elbowing Cav yeah. when he felt like he was coming up I did, in that space? I, I did that think space. of that because it was a similar sort of thing and, and the roles were reversed, weren't they? But no one... Uh, I mean, there was, there was a lot of mixed reactions to who was to blame back then and, and Cav came off worse than he really hurt himself. And So on that note, Peter can't really... Even though he it, he knows how he was intending to do that and why he was doing it, the rules are the rules in in that sense, you know. And that at the moment, even based on the theory that they could change that slightly with some knowledgeable person, who, that there's leeway, it is what it is now, and he has to go to the back. So he can't really complain that based on the fact that the position he was in with Cav. But the other one I remember was in 2009 or 10, it was, Mark Renshaw and Julian Dean both leading out their respect, what Tyler Farrar and Cavendish. Renshaw actually properly whacked Julian Dean and there was no need for it. And Renshaw got thrown off the race completely. So although they look the same incident to what Sagan did today to the Mark Renshaw one, someone who knows what they're looking at and the circumstances, you, you can tell the difference. Do you see what I mean? 
that there's ones with intent for the wrong reasons and ones with intent for safety reasons and there only someone like a sprinter or that someone like could to know you know identify that and that's what i think can be changed for that so that not only means that Wout van Aert takes the final podium place when it's all come out in the wash, but Sam Bennett now has a 68-point lead over Sagan in the green jersey standings, yeah. as opposed to what would have been a 15-point yeah. lead had that result initially, as yeah. it was, stood. Uh, Sam has extended his lead, and is, you know he, he warranted that, really, because you know he was still up there in the sprint, and he lost a few teammates as well, and they, was, they were riding in a strange way to, today, to Kearney. So Sam got isolated in the final from his team, and at one point, to Koenig was trying to put two riders up the road, which was seemed odd as well, that weren't really going anywhere. And, and Sam's going to need all the help he, he can get from his team at the moment. That's what they're chasing. The competition, that competition, and Alaphilippe for stages, and Sam for stages. The green jersey competition, and yeah. He's going to have a challenge on with Sagan. Sagan, that will only give him more fuel now. He's coming good leg-wise. He's going to be hungry now. He wanna, he'll want to make a prove, prove a point. It'd be like Michael Jordan. Now took a personal. He's going to like, that, that will rock like rile him up more it's, it's not Sagan's last dance we're looking at necessarily no, Sagan. but, but he's, he, he does he does have a limited uh, opportunities now to, to to put some points on the board for green so stage 19 possibly so what, possibly tomorrow why, why is it limited because we're not going to see another sprint stage so we might see one tomorrow but we will likely see the next one stage 19 Sagan has won this job competition of the last seven years on intermediates on no on being able to get over climbs, et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't win the green jersey on the sprint stages. He places on them. What he does do is he gets up the road on stages like tomorrow. Sam won't be underestimating for Sagan for one minute. You know, I'm sure he's got the utmost respect and looks up to him. But Sagan now is going to be hungry for this and Sam's going to need his team around him to support him. Because look what Bora did the other day when they went out the blocks and... Gunned it on the front. Yeah. yeah. That's what they're capable of doing. So... Well, look, on sprinters, we should also say that Patrick Lefebvre has said that we could see, could see Fabio Jakobsen back as soon yeah. as March, back mm. in action as, as soon as March yeah, and, next and year. I just hope he's okay, first and foremost, because there was a report also who's made that he's still not talking and he's having to message in order to relay. Mm. Um, and I think his manager, who's the same manager as Grotewagen, has also done an interview with Dutch Radio where he um, painted the picture that it was far worse than the one Lefebvre did. So I think his, his manager wasn't even talking about racing at this point. It was more about getting him back to speaking at least because his vocal cords are still... Um, so they're quite contrary. Um, but obviously Patrick has got a different view in the sense that that will get, might get better by Christmas from his manager's point of view. And Patrick hopes to have him back racing by March. It's not that Patrick wants him back racing. It's Patrick is the manager and he was asked, when do you think you will have Jackson? So I can see the... But let's just hope he... Let's hope he does get back to be able to supply his trade. Let's just hope he gets back to full fitness. And also Dylan Gronvig, because there's also reports that he's struggling at the moment. Mm. He's well, having threats, wishes to him threats well. on social media, um, the weight of guilt and responsibility. Um, and let's hope he gets back. Let's hope they get back together. And Well, there's there's a lot of hope there in, in, in several aspects for De Koenig Quickstep. Um, you had a chat about their main man today, Sam Bennett, with Sean Kelly earlier, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I've seen the pleasure Sean has took in in Sam's riding and his stage winning that. And um, it's lovely to watch. And today was 42 years since Sean's first stage victory in Poitiers as well. I, so I caught up with Sean earlier today just to um, ask him about what he remembers from, from that day. And 
It's fascinating and we're going to run it now. Enjoy it. Sean, 10 days into the tour now. Um, Sam Bennett clearly in green after Caleb Ewan's win today and Sagan's disqualification. Um, how do you assess Sam's tour up to now? Because I know it's been frustrating at times for you watching it um, because you realise his potential, but also it's been very successful as well with Ireland's first stage win since since yourself, was it? Since since your last stage win, is that right? Uh, no, I think Stephen Roach was the uh, last Irish to win. Oh, in 92, La Boule, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think, yes, um, um, it's, been a, it's been a long road for him, of course. You know, he's come from Bora where he did not get selected for the Tour and didn't look like he was going to get selected to ride the Tour of France. And he probably wouldn't this year, would he, if he was still there? No, I don't think he would no. be. You know. So, uh, you know, last year he decided to make the move and um, because, as he said uh, in some of his um, post-race interviews, to uh, to ride the Tour of France, win a stage in the Tour of France is a dream of, of, of riders from a very young age and... Yeah, so it's uh, it's been a long road uh, because of team complications. Then we see in this race where he was close a number of times, but just not cracking it, and uh, then eventually got it. And we could see, you know, all that emotion came out in the uh, interview after the race. Uh, so, and he's looking he's looking very solid. And now uh, it's all to do for the green jersey. He's in a real strong position, uh, but there's a lot of difficult days to come. And uh, we know these undulating stages. Again, he is. Uh, He's a difficult one to control. Um, obviously, it's his first stage win, and today was the stage f- finish in Poitiers, where, of course, 42 years ago, you won your first stage win. Um, how are your memories of that day? Do you still remember it like it was yesterday? Yes, I remember it uh, quite clearly. Um, it's, you know, it's a lot with these races. Um, I was a lucky one. I won a lot of different style of races. I could, you know, win stages and sprints and win classics. A bit more than luck, sure. <laughs> and win stage races later on in my career. But at that point in my career, um, you know, I was an unknown rider. Um, but I remember that that final. Uh, I got away in a break with a number of other riders, Knesseman, Joseph Briere, Sven Nielsen, René Bittanger. Not a very strong group then. Well, I disagree with that. <laughs> but yeah, in the sprint, of course, I was, you know, I was quite fast in the sprint in my early years as a professional. So I had... Yeah, I, I had confidence going into that sprint, but of course you never know in a small group somebody attacks and nobody reacts and all of that. But uh, yeah, I remember that one quite clearly compared to some of the other two stages of one that are not as clear. And it's the same for some other races as well. The first time you win, you remember them. And they could be much, much earlier in your career where mm. some of the other ones were later. And Sam's stage win is obviously the first since sure, uh, Stephen and, and then yourself. But your first stage win was the first since Shay Elliott, wasn't it? Yes, Obviously, we've seen Sam's reaction yesterday in the emotion, and he's quite—he's it's ready, readily available for him to see the reaction in Ireland and videos of yourself talking to him and congratulating. But in in those days, there was no social media and stuff, was there? And can you remember? Did you get a sense of what the reaction was like in Ireland and things like that? You know, you, you were speaking the other day on the TV about uh, the rest of the tour. You could see a marked change in the way people noticed you going to the climbs and stuff but I guess the only contact you had then was obviously to the landline phone in the evening to speak to family and stuff but how did that drip through to you? Well definitely that was the case you know the social media now is instant when something happened and somebody wins something where back in when I won my first uh, tour stage uh, it, it filters through of course you know but it takes uh, a number of hours and you um 
you, you get to uh, hear about the reactions back home, and of course, there's always, you know, the um, um, the radios, uh, the national radio, and um, you know, some of the some of the uh, TV the TV's channels as well. They contact, they want to, uh, you know, do an interview with you. But it was tiny compared to now, and I think the emotion part of it as well. It's it's quite different now because there's all that tension, there's all that pressure now for the riders. You know, like when I started my first Tour de France, it was a much more casual affair. Yeah. So, you know, there wasn't all that hype about winning. And when you won a stage, it was an unbelievable feeling, but nothing like it is now. The emotions that come out when guys win a big one for the first time. And how did that win change your career going forward from that moment on? Was it a, was it a, a pivotal moment in getting more respect or more more help as a leader in terms of winning things because was that was that did you did you know a mark change or was it just put down to oh you was in the break and you won but nothing really changed the rider even though you was obviously no a, i think it did change uh you know other teams as well were looking and um, there were definitely more interest in me then because until that point i had won some of the smaller pro races but a stage in the tour of france you know is uh, is an important one so there was interest in other teams about you know the contract i had how long i was there for and i did move teams after that i went to splendor uh, with michel Polentier because mm. you know they offered me a much better contract and they also offered me the opportunity to sprint for myself in that tour of france it was with freddie martins of course and he was the one of the best sprinters in the world but on that stage to poitier we were allowed a bit of freedom and uh yeah i managed to filter into the break did you learn anything from freddie watching him and being around him and you know he was was what was he like as a person? Obviously, you know what he's like now. But as a rider, was he quite demanding, or was he was he difficult? Was he relayed back? No, he was. Yeah, he was very helpful. I must say that you know when I went to the races um, with him, um, you know I did uh, Paris. He was a superstar, wasn't he? Back yes, then? a superstar. And yeah. uh, you know he had he won the he won the uh, Vuelta and won thirteen stages. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He won the overall. Yeah. Uh, you know he was he, he was going. You know he was he was in the best. Um, very smooth best, sprinter as well, wasn't he? Yeah, the best form of his oh. of his career at that time. And then uh, after the Vuelta, he crashed um, in the Giro, and after yeah. that, he broke his wrist, and he got you know mm. he got pretty broken up, and he did never return to the same level. But I must frankly say that he was very good to me in the races. Yeah. Um, you know, he was very helpful and not 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 very demanding on the road. It was somebody else, like if, you know, the Belgians, Marc Demier and some of the other guys, they were the sort of the capitaines of mm. the road. But Freddie would say to me at, at lunchtime, or sorry, at dinner time in the evening, he would talk about the stage and he'd say, look, you know, we did that, but we should be doing it in that way. So he was very helpful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from him in the years I was riding the team with him. Yeah, and obviously the Tour de France has changed so much, hasn't it? I think you saw from your first tour to probably your last Already quite a big change, didn't you? But the buses and things hadn't come in by the, by the end of your career, had it? That was sort of 94 onwards, wasn't it? But I think a lot of people won't realise that, you know, in those days when you turn up to starts and stuff, there's pictures of... You'd get changed on the back of the car, wouldn't you, really? Yes, well, you're yeah. driving... You're so it's driving, quite different, isn't it, today? Yeah. Oh, yes, well, it's totally different now. And, uh, uh, yes, when, you know, when I was doing the Tour of France in my first years, there was, you know, the, the buses were not existing and uh, you came to this you know the stage starting the car you might have a sort of a mini bus people carrier and you're changing that and then yeah slowly it started to change but i did have uh, the luxury of a bus in the end i would do when i joined pdm yeah, oh, yeah of course yeah you were the one of the first teams were they 
I think, yes, with uh, some of the teams in Spain, maybe Unse or some of those ones, but uh, yes, definitely PDM were one, one of the first. And Sean Yates, I remember him telling me that he used to wash his own shorts and socks and jersey in the shower with him when he was having a shower. Was that and dry it in the towel, all that sort of stuff? Did you, or did the team do washing in those days then? No, certainly not. Uh, you know, my first years, um, you had to do your own washing. You do it in the you know, in the bathroom. So you didn't have a washing machine each, like Ineos do, no? <laughs> we didn't have a <laughs> did washing machine. Did you have a barber and three we chefs? We didn't have a washing machine. Not a not a washing machine for every uh, ride. That, but no, you had to do your own. That's uh, that was the understanding in the in the room when you get in. You know, you'd put it into the uh, uh, the hand base, and you would you you know. Steep it there for a while, yeah. and then you take it into the shower with you, or into the bath, or whatever you had, and rinse it out and wash it out there. Did you dry it in the towel, the old yes, towel? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, wring it out in the towel. Yeah, well, I suppose we wish luck to Sam Bennett going on. I'm sure you're going to watch with uh, in earnest his uh, fight for green now the next 10 days. So, uh, thank you, Sean, anyway. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, and looking forward to the big battle for green. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, for life on and off your bike. Lacquer has flipped outdated traditional insurance on its head with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus, 80% of your money goes straight back into the collective, fixing, replacing, and helping. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. And when things go bad, Lacquer's got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. They've ditched annual contracts locking you in. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, anytime. Head over to www.lacquer.co, where new customers can get £10 credit by signing up today with the discount code WIGGINS. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show. Brad, a couple of other points on today. We saw the peloton snaking in and out of the towns, yeah. um, which is a tactic that you're no stranger to. Um, from the, tw- the 2011 road race is, is what I'm thinking yeah. of here. Talk me through what they're, what they're trying to achieve there. Um, I did it in Paris as well, actually, for Cab. And uh, the stage he won where he caught Roach on the line three days before. When you take up the front, Obviously, you don't want to burn your riders by... It's not a lead-out. It's not like you're doing... Riders are doing four, 500 metres and then peeling off. Because when they're doing that, if they're good enough at that role, it's hard for teams to come up and overtake them that are also wanting to go faster. So they just want to ride... You ride on the front, because it's still 20k to go, at an effort that is fast enough that you can keep your leader three or four wheels back in a safe position through chicanes, this, that, and the other, which was burnout, of course. And but Kwiatowski is very experienced. Was keeping look over his shoulder because he realised well it wasn't fast enough that he didn't he couldn't look over his shoulder. See what I mean? So it's obviously at a tempo that he can look round because he didn't want to get swamped by another team that would come over the top before they get to the chicanes and that. And Bernal would have been back and there could have been a crash because the crashes have happened quite close to the front. So Kwiatowski was just keeping a look over and they were on the right side of the road. He could see Yumbo started come up. He could see Yellow approaching and Primoz was trying to get to the back of that train to come up the front. So he called left to Van Bol, and Van Bol just drifts over to the left and take the race line into it. And they, it forces the peloton to go over to the left as well because everyone follows the wheel. And it, then it's the pavement. So Yumbo stopped coming up, you see. And he come out of the chicane and moved back over to the right. And I did it the world's for cab before the little climb. I just snaked from one side, but I did it way more, you know, way more aggressively 
because I knew the Aussies were coming up with Stewie O'Grady and all that, and it, they had to break quite hard and stuff. So it was being a bit of a sea. Um, they hadn't known exactly what you but, were doing, but we well. were running out of riders fast and just lost Dave Miller and I. I did used to adopt that tactic in those moments because I knew that it would stop trades coming over the top, etc., etc. You're looking after your own interests. Because I didn't, want, I didn't want Cav... If you've got one team coming up on the left, one team coming up on the right, Cav will end up 15 riders back as they compress. And then he's out of position. So, again, I'm doing anything I have to do in those moments without thinking, well, it might cause an accident. It's like, you just, in those moments, you think, well, they wouldn't think twice about doing the same to me. It's a bit like coming into Arenberg. It's... Probably the scariest thing I've ever done is going into Arenberg. Mm. You know, forty blokes sprinting out the saddle across the road into a four-foot-wide <laughs> forest that is like, you know, cobbles that have been thrown out of a helicopter in cement, to cement. It's terrifying, and it's moss and muddy, and it's it's it's. If you're not sort of that way inclined, I mean, the first year I did it, I was in the first 20 because there was a massive crash behind and with Zabel, Peter Van Peter again, all these people. And I was fearless and I crashed as we got into it. But by the time I was like 34 and that was like, I actually don't want to crash. You know, you just drift back a bit and you've got young riders that are just fearless and, you know, it's, that's cycling, you know. And if you get into it first, you get out the other side. The guys that have gone into it in 40 for three minutes down by the time they come out, that's how you end up in the front in Roubaix. And if you don't like it, then go and do another job, you know? So that's cycling. And, and that's what it's like. So Bora's, to move it on, Bora's Gregor Mulberger abandoned today. So yeah. he, they, Rob Hatch and, and Brian were speculating on commentary. He had his jacket on. He clearly wasn't feeling very well. Yeah. He, he was peddling a big gear. He was, he was out the back of the, of the pack. I mean, for, from that point of view, it's, where, where does the team call it there? Yeah. You know, in the, in the times that we're, we're living so, in. It clearly not. It's not Corona because they all had tests the other day, didn't they? Yes. So um, um, and he had yeah, chills I mean, in the night. He, um, he he rode today. Yeah, I mean, I mean, something's clearly happened to him. Um, obviously, there's no statement from the team or anything, is there? Um, but he, you know, he might have had the. Shit. He might have had something that they just tried to get through the stage with before announcing something. But I mean, normally though, you when you climb off, you there's an element of like a little bit of shame, like you want people to know why you climbed off. So you come out with it and it's like, oh, it's no wonder you climbed off. But So to not say anything is sort of odd as well um, because you don't want to go to the Tour de France and be, oh, he's climbed off today. Why is he climbing off? I don't know. No one knows. It's like you normally want to come out and say it's with deep sadness. So I have to say I uh, broke me something in me. You know, you, you want to say it because otherwise it ends up like Rowan last year and it's a news story. And so I don't know. I mean... At some point, they might say they may not know what it is. He might just have a sore knee. Or... We don't know. Yeah, um, no, no statement before no statement before we recorded this evening. Um, Brad, before we wrap up, just give me a quick word on Torino Adratico. Uh, G thirty seconds off the pace on GC. Yeah. He's, he's looking. He looked good in the second group on the road today. Um, he always looks good. I mean, well, he'll he'll just be happy to be back racing, won't he? And 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 the other thing that I want to hit you with here is that he said. Um, in the in the past twenty four hours, that he might be targeting the world's time trial, yeah, um, and that the the Giro will will in fact suit him because there's three TTs there, um, yeah, and of course we've only got one at the tour this year. Yeah, I mean he's um, and I, I I might be wrong in saying, but he's, has it now come out? Brian Smith told me this earlier that he's actually stated that he didn't want to go to the tour because he didn't want to be a helper. Yeah, so he he said yeah. that as part of the same interview. Yeah, I mean, which I said to Brian today, I said. 
we've discussed that a lot of the time and saying, you know, that he would have been part of the, I said he would have been part of the decision that was made. But I, that's the stuff I find a bit odd and it diminishes them as a team and creates this question in, in that Dave is just ruthless and this, that and the other. And I, I thought that they may have respect with, for G, that they'd have come to that decision, but clearly not. And G, But G's now contradicting the statements we spoke about the other week with the videos and stuff. Um, and that G clearly wanted to state that, you know, so, you know, we, I think someone said to me earlier, do you think what G, do you think G's going to stay at Ineos? I think this is your last year, is it? So all that is clearly, you know, and I wonder what's that's going to create in terms of pressure on the team. People asking, is G happy? That'll be the next report. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. And actually that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. And why not do it like that? Um, G could do anything on his day that he wants. You know, mm. he's a class act. Uh, so maybe he's in great shape. And all these reports, or it wasn't even reports, I think we probably could only come to the assumption that it was that he wasn't going very well because I actually couldn't, I wouldn't believe that it was something like that where he made the decision, you know, because because that's the problem that a lot of really good riders brings you. And lot ambitious riders that get paid a lot of money that want to perform and it doesn't always work or transpire that they will just all share it and ride for each other at the right time. It actually, sometimes, and I think that's the problem Ineos is sort of getting to, is like, you know, it works sometimes, but G's now won the tour and he kind of rode in his sisters of Bernal last year, et cetera, et cetera. But now I want to win again because I've only got a few years left at this sort of, and I'm dedicating my whole life, Lynn in Monaco, I've got kids, I don't see them, I go to altitude. I'm not doing that to just become a domestic, you know? So he is also, that's the level he's at. I want to see how much I can do before I retire. So yeah, and I think he's fifth overall. He's bang straight there. He's talking about things like that, targeting the worlds. So he's got clear ambition and confidence that this is where I'm heading, which is great. He's not saying things like, oh, we'll see how it goes in the Giro, you know, I'll see if, you know, he's, he's been quite clear and that, G never used to do things like that. So that actually shows you how much he's grown as like a leader and confident in his own ability now. But your world time trip, I'd love to see him go for the hour record afterwards or something. But no, I mean, he could do anything, you know, and he probably will. So good on him. Well, we look forward to seeing what G does tomorrow at Toronto Adratico. Uh, Brad, we look forward to hearing more from you on tomorrow's stage 12 of the tour, 218 kilometers, uh, one of the longer ones, the longest one if I'm not mistaken. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thank you to our sponsor, Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Thank you also to our producer, Pete Burton. Good on, Pete. Brad, we can follow you on social media at... Wiggo, Sir Wiggo. Sir Wiggo. Uh, no obscenities, please. I should also add, you can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Finally, from me, Graham Wilgos. Good on you. At Graham Wilgos. If you want to follow me, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts, and rate us wherever you, you get you your you. podcasts. Brad, we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Good on you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.